Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. All right. Uh, So if you guys would go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Uh, We're continuing our sermon series going through the book of Luke. Uh, Over the past few weeks, the text has shown us the power of Jesus' kingship and the reach of his dominion. Um, We saw that he is king over the uh, elements of nature, like the wind and the sea. We saw that he is king over the chaos. He's king over the spiritual realm. Jesus is king over sickness, and he is even king over death. And today, we're going to see Jesus exercising a little bit of a, a different aspect of his kingly authority. Um, He's going to appoint ambassadors from the kingdom to spread the word about his power. So this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Uh, The title of this sermon is Commissioning the Twelve. But the main idea, the main idea from this text is that King, uh, sorry, King Jesus has a mission for his disciples. Now that wouldn't all fit up there on that one line, so I shortened it, King Jesus' mission for his disciples. But the main idea is that King Jesus has a mission for his disciples. Uh, And so I've got this text broken down into uh, three divisions. There's uh, verses 1 and 2 where we see uh, deputies and ambassadors. Uh, Verses 3 through 5 I have listed as ROEs. Um, Anybody know what ROEs are or what that stands for? All right. James? Yes, rules of engagement. Uh, The ROEs, that's the rules of engagement. Um, You'll hear this a lot of times in... um, when our armed forces are in other countries, this is the rules of how they're to operate. This is how they can know uh, when to go into an active situation or when they need to be a little bit more passive. And so verses 3 through 5 are the ROEs. And then verse 6, uh, we see executing the mission. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into this text. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you for the truth in your word. And as we dive into your word today, draw us close to you. Help us to know where your power is. Help us to, uh, to bring your power into our lives. Mold us to be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so right here, verses 1 and 2, it says, Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So, real quick, it starts off with the twelve. Jesus summoning the twelve. And so these are Jesus' twelve disciples. He chose them, and they follow him every day. And they followed him every day as he walked around teaching and healing and casting out demons and performing all sorts of other miracles. They had special access to him as rabbi, as their personal rabbi, their personal teacher, Uh, They could ask him questions about different occurrences in their everyday lives, or they could ask him questions about his teaching and dig a little bit deeper into his teaching. But more than that, this 12 coming in here is bringing in that theme from last week that we talked about. Uh, Last week, we we saw Jesus heal a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and then he raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead. So this recurring 12, is, it's not accidental, and it's not a simple coincidence. Um, so here's a pop quiz to see if you were listening last week. Throughout the Old Testament, what does that number 12 represent? 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, the 12 tribes of Israel was one representation of it, or one out, outshowing of it. But what did that 12 represent? 
It was the idea of completeness or wholeness, like the whole fraction, the whole thing. Uh, Not a partial fraction, but the whole thing. So when we look at the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel is 12 out of 12, the whole thing, all 12 tribes. Um, And so we recognize that those 12 tribes were also descendants uh, from Jacob, or they were descended from Jacob's sons, and those those sons are called the 12 patriarchs. Once we get into the New Testament, this picture of Jacob and his sons is reflected in Jesus and his 12 disciples. These disciples represent a redefining of God's chosen people. See, Abraham was promised that his seed would be a blessing to all nations. And Jesus is that seed through which the blessing flows. The blessing is spread through humanity by the proclamation of the gospel. This means that those who have believed the gospel are the ones who will inherit the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, again, we've had a really good discussion about this in Sunday school, breaking down Paul's argument and getting into detail about that. Uh, And Paul makes that exact same point. If you're not coming to Sunday school, you're really missing out. But getting back to these disciples, Jesus gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. So far, throughout Luke's gospel, only Jesus has been healing and casting out demons. But now he's passing these miraculous powers over to his disciples. And throughout this sermon series, I've repeatedly said that Jesus can cast out demons and heal diseases because he has the power and authority to do so. And each time in this sermon series that I've, uh, each time we've come across Jesus performing these miracles, I said that he can do so because of that power and authority. He has the power and authority because he is God. He is the perfect king of the universe. He is God in the flesh. It is by his nature of him being God that he has the power and authority to perform these miracles. And now Jesus is taking that power and authority and passing it down to his disciples. He has, he's giving that power to perform these miracles over to his disciples. He is deputizing them to act on his behalf. He's giving them his power. Then, it says, then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So now we see Jesus is not only deputizing his disciples with his power, he's also sending them out as ambassadors of his kingdom. I know I just mixed metaphors, but I think you get the point. The job that these disciples have is twofold. Proclaim the kingdom of God first, and then secondly, heal the sick. The proclamation, the proclamation of the kingdom of God is the gospel. And that is that, that we were all created according to God's design. This whole universe was created according to God's design. And he is the perfect designer. And our universe is supposed to, be, so it's supposed to run perfectly according to his design. One of the main aspects of that is us and our lives and our relationships. We were created to be in perfect relationship with God, in perfect relationship with each other, and in perfect relationship with the rest of creation. But when we look around our world, when we look around our universe, we recognize that our universe doesn't operate perfectly. There's a lot of messed up things in our universe. There's a lot of messed up uh, occurrences in our universe. There's a lot of death and destruction in our universe. But then personally, in our lives, we know that our relationships aren't perfect the way that God created us to be. Our relationships are broken. And that's because of sin. And sin is any time that we're not following God's will in our life. And it's that sin that brings us out of God's design and into this place of brokenness. We all feel this brokenness in our lives every day. 
It could be broken relationships at work, broken family relationships. Uh, it's, it's all over all over our world. And everybody feels it. Everybody recognizes that this happens. And so we try all sorts of different things to fix the brokenness. Some of us dive into our work and, and maybe try to earn enough money so that we can buy our, our way out of the brokenness. Or, or sometimes we, we dive into the, the rules of the church and, and try to be legalistic and moralistic and, and try to be good enough to fix the brokenness in our lives. Or could be all sorts of other forms of idolatry, or sometimes people just give up, and they, they succumb to this brokenness, and they, they, they feel like there's nothing they can do to fix it, so instead they try to hide that pain, and they try to hide the hurt through drugs or alcohol or anything like that. All of those can only lead us back to brokenness, because none of those can fix the brokenness in our lives. It's because the brokenness is caused by our sin, and none of those can fix our sin. There's nothing we can do to fix the sin that we did. I owe God all of my life, every moment of my life. So even if I sin only one time, and then for another hundred years I live perfectly, I have not given God all of my life. And so I cannot be good enough to fix that brokenness. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came so that he could take the punishment that we deserve. It was our sin that deserves punishment, but Jesus took that punishment on the cross. He sacrificed himself as an atonement for our sin. He died in our place so that we could be forgiven. Our sin debt wasn't just erased, but it was paid by Jesus so that we could be forgiven. And then when we repent from our sins and place our faith in him, our sin debt is given to him and he gives us, our, he gives us his righteousness and we are saved. We are adopted into the family of God. And then we are welcome to recover and pursue God's design. We are adopted into God's family. We are his children once again. And then our relationship with him is fixed. Our relationship with each other should be getting better. If we're all growing closer to God, we're growing closer together. So our relationship can be repaired through the gospel. And eventually, at the end of time, when God brings in a new heaven and new earth, all those relationships with the rest of creation will also be made right. But we are here to recover and pursue our relationship with God. After we are saved, we are recovering and pursuing uh, God's design in our lives, in all aspects of our lives. That's the gospel. It's that Jesus provides the forgiveness for our sins so that we can be brought back into God's design. The brokenness of our lives is fixed. And that's the message that these disciples are sent to take to the rest of the world. But as they're proclaiming the message, they're sure to come across some opposition. Many will say that Jesus doesn't actually have the authority to forgive sin. And that's where the secondary objective comes in. And that's to heal the sick. To prove that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin, the disciples are to display his power by healing the sick and casting out demons. They're going out with this message. And, well, we hear all sorts of messages all the time. All sorts of, some of them are true and some of them are not true. Well, what authority does that message come with? So the disciples are coming with a, a game-changing message here, that there is forgiveness of sins, that there is the, the possibility to be invited into the kingdom of God. Well, what authority do they have to teach this message? Well, they can show the authority. They can show Jesus' authority by a display of his power, by healing the sick and casting out demons. Now, to bring another metaphor into play here, Jesus, like any good military leader, knows that he must define the ROEs, or the rules of engagement. He already gave them their objective, he gave them their authority, and now he's going to tell them how they're to perform this. 
He says, take nothing for the road, no staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So Jesus tells them not to, be, not to take any preparations. Take no preps with them, right? The disciples are not to take any supplies with them. Now think of how contrary this is to earthly government, both ancient and modern, right? In the ancient world, when a king or an emperor would send an ambassador to a foreign land, often, or almost surely always, they would go with a lot of supplies. Now, the purpose of the mission would dictate the type of supplies. If the ruler was seeking protection from this other kingdom, or they were trying to be in good relationship with this other kingdom, then they would send the ambassador with all sorts of lavish gifts, uh, to, to try to buy the favor of that other ruler. The ambassador would come with a message of praise um, for the other ruler. On the other hand, if this king was trying to intimidate or threaten, then the ambassador would travel with armies as a show of power. They would bring a, a threatening message to try to cause the other ruler to back down. Whatever the purpose was, they did not travel light. We even think in modern governments, when we send, as the United States, when we send ambassadors to foreign countries, we don't send them by themselves. We send them with protection. We send them to an uh, embassy that usually has pretty thorough protection, uh, hefty security. And they don't go with no money. They they usually go with plenty of supplies and, and, and goods to make their stay there welcoming. When we send ambassadors, we don't send them like Jesus is sending his ambassadors here. Take nothing for the road. No staff. So there was, you know, often in in the ancient world, a staff was not just something to help you walk. You know, like we think of um, a a camping or a walking stick. Not just that, but it's also a form of protection because the ancient roads were dangerous, not just with wildlife, but with other travelers as well. So this is a a weapon for protection. Uh, No traveling bag, right? I can't imagine going somewhere without my backpack. Even if I'm just going from work or back or uh, going on a, a day trip or a few days, I always have my backpack with me. I can't imagine going on this mission with no traveling bag. He also tells them, don't, don't take any food, but also don't take any money. So even once you get somewhere, you can't buy food. And don't take any extra clothes. Right? One of the first things you learn as a little child when you're going to stay at a friend's house, you better make sure you take socks and underwear, right? Yeah? Jesus says, don't even do that. Don't take an extra shirt. Go with no preps at all. He's telling them to travel extremely light and the point, to the point where they're almost surely underprepared and overpowered everywhere they go and against anyone they might come across. That's exactly the point. Jesus wants his disciples to recognize that they are underpowered and overmatched on their own. Well, let, me, let me change that, that uh, pronoun there. Jesus wants his disciples to recognize that we are overpowered and undermatched in any of our opposition. Because our chief opposition is sin. We are overpowered and undermatched. I think I said that right. We have no power over sin in our lives. We have to depend on him. In this situation, Jesus' disciples had to depend on God's sovereignty to supply them with what they need. In our lives, we have to depend on God's power in our lives to overcome sin at every moment. No matter how strong or pretty or talented 
or wise or smart or how much education or, or anything like that, no matter what it is, we are not able to stand up against the forces of sin and evil on our own. Jesus' disciples, then in this text and nowadays, we must learn to trust in God's sovereignty to provide for us. That's why Jesus sends out his disciples here, seemingly underprepared or unprepared and underpowered. He provides them with power. He provides them with protection, just as the same as he provides for us. And that was the first rule of engagement, the first ROE for his disciples, to have faith in Jesus. What about the second? He says, whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Now, this one takes a little bit of uh, uh, cultural context for us to understand. See, typically, if we're traveling to a place where we don't have any uh, strong contacts, we're just going to book a hotel. Or, you know, some of us will take our house on wheels with us, right? But if we're traveling somewhere new, we're going to make sure we have a place to stay. We're going to book a hotel or take the, the RV. But in the ancient world, if you were traveling to visit a town, you were at the mercy of the residents of that town to provide housing for you. Once a resident welcomed a guest into their home, it was a point of pride for them to do everything that they could to make this guest feel as welcome and comfortable as possible. And this practice still holds true for many non-Western cultures. Jesus recognizes that since his disciples will travel into new towns, they might not get the wealthiest of hosts to bring them in in the beginning. But once they begin proclaiming the gospel, and once they begin healing the sick, and once they begin casting out demons, then they might get some attention of some of the more wealthy or more popular individuals in town. And then this more wealthy or, or popular individual, or more powerful individual in town could invite them to say, well, you don't want to stay at their house. You know, there, you don't want to stay there. Come stay at my house because I can really take care of you. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that because... We want to honor those who are welcoming to us. We honor people not based on their wealth. We honor people not based on what they can do for us. But we honor people because they are created in the image of God. We don't play favoritism for money. We honor people because they are created in the image of God. All people are created in the the image of God. And if you as my disciple are to go to this town and maybe one of the poorer people in town takes you in and then... After a few days and you've gained some popularity and gained some new friends, then you go stay at the more wealthy person's house, that would be an embarrassment to the first person who took you in. So they're to honor the host that first welcomes them into their home and to honor God by being obedient to him. They're not to seek their own glory or their own honor by moving up the social ladder and securing wealthier hosts. But what about that third rule of engagement? Jesus says, Uh, If they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. See, Jesus also knows from firsthand experience that the message of the kingdom of God is not always welcomed. So this is almost the opposite of the last one that I said. When the disciple goes into the town, they're preaching the gospel, they're healing the sick, they're casting out demons. This could cause them to to be pretty popular and people want them to come and stay with them. On the other hand, Jesus knows that the gospel has enemies. There are people who will oppose you. So if you go into this town and they're not welcoming to you, that's fine. Just leave. As you're going, shake the dust off from your feet. Now, this was meant to serve as a a warning of coming judgment. See, these towns were going to be judged by God and face his wrath. Therefore, the disciples don't even want any of the dust from that town on their feet. The lesson for today's disciple in this is that there will be times and there will be folks who we meet we share the gospel with them. 
and they are extremely opposed to the gospel. And then instead of arguing with them, we just say, okay. And we move on to the next person. It's heartbreaking to hear because we recognize that failure to accept the gospel means eternal punishment, eternal hell. So we don't move on lightly. We move on brokenheartedly. But to stand there and argue with this person who is adamant and, and opposed to the gospel, it's not going to do any good. It's not going to help us out. Right? But what about Christian apologists who get on stage and, and debate with atheists or people from other religions? See, honestly, in those cases, I don't think the apologist is trying to convince the other debater. Instead, the target is the audience. It's the people in the audience. I think of Frank Turek getting on stage and debating Christopher Hitchens. I don't think Turek or Hitchens, either one, I don't think they were trying to change the other person's mind. They were speaking more to the audience and trying to convince them. Now, if you're curious to hear some of these debates, I'm going to link, I'll put a link in the podcast show notes or on the the YouTube video description. Uh, But let me warn you, it's it's just over two hours long, and you've got to put your thinking cap on it. If you want to break it down into smaller chunks, that's fine. Um, but be ready to have your thinking cap on. It's pretty deep arguments there. But I, it's good for us to be able to sit there and hear these arguments. At the same time, we recognize that if somebody is adamantly opposed to the gospel, to stand there and argue with them, it's not gonna, it, it may not bring glory to God. Instead, we move on to the next person, and hopefully they'll be more willing to hear the gospel. Jesus tells his disciples, when you leave that town, shake the dust off from your feet as a testimony against them. All right, so now Jesus has given his, uh, his disciples power, authority. He's giving them a mission, and he's giving them the ROEs, the rules of engagement. Well, what's left? Well, verse 6. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. What's left is simple. It's a choice that we have. Be obedient or be disobedient. The disciples are obedient to the mission that Jesus gave them. They have ambassadored all over the place. They've ambassadored hard. I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but you get the point. Everywhere they went, they shared the news of their king and his power. Everywhere they went, they shared the news of this kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. Not only did they spread the news, they also showed this king's power. The message of the gospel was paired with miraculous healings. In Mark's gospel, when he's telling this, we're also told that the disciples went out and cast out many demons. As Jesus' disciples in the 21st century, do we have this same mission? Yes. Yes, we do. Our culture is different. Our context is different. But the mission and the ROEs are the same. Go out and proclaim the gospel everywhere you go. Have faith in God and he will provide for you. Hold to the sanctity of every person because they are made in the image of God. Or, to put it negatively, don't play favorites with someone just because they can do you favors. And then if someone is unwilling to believe, don't argue with them. Simply continue on the mission with the next person. Now, are there nuances to each of these? Absolutely. I'm not saying that we should forego education and and physical health because God is wise and strong. We should still seek to educate. We should still seek to, to be physically healthy. But where we fail, God will provide. I'm not saying that we give up on our family members and loved ones because they don't believe. I'm not saying that we should ignore the wealthy and socially connected people in our mission. But I am saying that we trust in God's will, 
we live obediently to him by being obediently on mission for him. Let's say that again. We trust in God's will and we live obediently to him by being obediently on mission for him. So our application for this passage, I almost sound like I already gave the application, but our application for this passage um, always comes from our definition of a disciple and our three indicators. That's the knowing, being, and doing. So first is to know that Jesus gives his authority. All right, now, often and purposefully, I turn to the Great Commission in Matthew 28 when giving the application for the sermons. And I, I'm going to do so again today. But usually, when, we, when I pull up the Great Commission, we're only looking at verse 19 and the first part of verse 20. Today, we're going to spread that out just a little bit. We're going to start in verse 18 and go all the way through to the end of 20. So starting in verse 18, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the parts that I'm bringing back into this that I don't normally put here is all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So that's Jesus. Jesus has all authority. And then at the, he gives us the mission. And then at the end, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have this mission from God. The authority for that mission comes from Jesus. But Jesus promises that he will be with us always. <clears throat> in the Great Commission, the authority still comes from Jesus. He has the authority. He gives us a mission and promises to stay with us. He will not leave us, and his authority stays with us. Much like the disciples in today's passage, our power and authority to succeed in the Great Commission come from Jesus. Our B application is to be empowered by faith in Jesus. This starts with salvation, and it starts with recognizing that, that we don't have the power to free ourselves from our slavery to sin. Jesus came and died to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. Through his sacrifice, he pays for our, for our forgiveness. When we place our faith in him, our guilt is transferred to him, and his righteousness is transferred to us. We are adopted into God's family, and the Spirit of God comes to live within us. And it is that indwelling of the Holy Spirit through which God's power can work in us. Through faith in Jesus, God's power comes to live inside of us. Through continued faith in Jesus, he gives us wisdom and power to be obedient to him and his mission. And our due application is to execute the mission. Go out and proclaim the gospel everywhere you go. Have faith in God and he will provide for you. Hold to the sanctity of every person because they are made in the image of God. And if someone is unwilling to believe, sadly, heartbrokenly, we go on. We move to the next person. To stand there and argue with them is not going to bring glory to God. As Jesus' disciples in the 21st century, we have the same mission as his disciples in the 1st century. Spread the news of his kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we, we thank you for your word. This morning, as we read this message, as we read these words that you spoke, I pray that you will give us faith, that you will help us to place ourselves under your authority, help us to, to place ourselves under your blood for forgiveness, and then uh, accept your authority over our lives. Help us to live obediently to your will, having faith in your power and in your wisdom. God, I pray that you will help us to be obedient to your mission 
in making disciples of all people groups because the power comes from you and the authority comes from you. Help us to surrender to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit victorybaptisthopemills.com or facebook.com slash vbchopemills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.